This morning's scripture reading comes from Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nope, I need that. Angelwan and I are just going to uh, juggle around one another this morning. Good morning, everybody. You guys aren't at the beach. Neither am I. I'm glad you're here today. Um, it is a beautiful weekend, though. I hope you have some time to enjoy this holiday, to be outside and not get too much sun. Uh, Rachel might kill me for saying this, but I'm just going to say it. Look, y'all, she went to Paul B. Johnson State Park with a friend yesterday, and her legs are the color of my shirt. Y'all, you've seen my daughter, right? Redhead. This is redheaded, fair skin. You cannot do that your first time in the sun. So all of my fair skinned friends, I'm looking at you, Victoria. Be careful when you go out and enjoy the sun. But I do hope you have a great weekend and you can celebrate uh, that you have the freedom to get sunburned if you want to. You can do that if you want to. Um, well, we are in our series on uh, catching the current of your baptism. We're learning what it really means to, to live in the fullness of those vows that we take at our baptisms. Uh, week one, we looked at the first vow. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And we explored what that vow looks like in everyday life, and we discovered that it's showing kindness and, and that forgiveness is the way that we have the power to, to diminish, to crush, to ultimately defeat the spiritual forces of wickedness that fuel the evil powers of this world. Kindness and forgiveness. Uh, last week, we explored the second vow. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And Bruce talked with us about um, our need to decide which kind of person we will be. Will we be someone who, uh, with Jesus, is a resistor of evil, of injustice, of oppression? Or will we just float passively along in life, not doing anything to make an impact in this world? This vow does not let us get away with floating passively by and doing nothing. Will you resist? Will you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist 
evil, injustice, and oppression. Today, we get to our third vow. Uh, I want you to read this one aloud with me. You ready? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. That is a mouthful, and it's long. And so since that one has so much in it, we're splitting it in half. So I'm taking the first line today, and Bruce will wrap us up in our series, taking the second half of that vow next week. So today, here's what we're focusing on. Do you confess Jesus as your Savior and put your whole trust in His grace? This is what we're dealing with today. This question actually addresses Another question, how are we saved or what does it mean to really be saved, okay? So you, you may remember two weeks ago, in that first week, we talked about that word repent and we said that to repent means to turn toward God and that, <clears throat> excuse me, it is the kindness of God that draws us to turn back toward Him, not the anger of God. God's anger at us is not what causes us to turn back towards him. Um, Jesus came and lived the, the most kind life imaginable, this perfect life. And it is through Jesus that God has shown us his immeasurable kindness. Uh, Jesus, like a loving parent or a really great friend, taught and exemplified for us what living a life of love really looks like. Um, he consistently showed to us extravagant kindness and mercy even when we were at our worst. When we dished out on him the worst of ourselves, he poured out on us the best of himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us and laid down his life as if he were the one who deserved to die so that we could have the truest life imaginable. That is the kind of kindness that God in Christ has shown to us. Now, in the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, we heard a portion of that this morning. He said this, Titus, remind the believers you are leading. In other words, remind the people in your church, Titus, to be kind. Specifically, he says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and, and their authority figures that are over them. Be obedient and ready to do every good work. Speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. To be gentle and show every courtesy to everyone. I mean, guys, if you just pause over each one of those statements and you really think about what does it take to fully live into those commands and instructions right there, you realize it's very hard, especially if the rulers and the authorities over you are not kind themselves, right? And this is what Paul is saying to Titus, instruct these new believers that they are to be kind in this way fully to the people that are over them and every single person around them. Give every courtesy to every person around them. And what is the rationale he gives for why 
they should behave in that way? Well, he says, because, you know, we were once all foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once led astray. We were once slaves to passions and desires and pleasures, and we were passing our days in malice and envy. We were despicable people hating one another. This is who we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us. He didn't condemn us. He didn't tell us how rotten we were. He didn't give us everything we deserved. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the water of rebirth, And renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what He's saying is God saved us through the actions of Jesus Christ according to His mercy. Not through anything we did to deserve it. We were actually quite the opposite of deserving any goodness from God. And so Paul is telling Titus that it is, it is crucial that these new believers remember this, that it is only through the grace and loving kindness of Jesus Christ that they are saved because God loved them and God chose them and God showed his radical kindness to them. It had nothing to do with anything they had done. Or anything that they would do. And the proper response to having received that kind of love and grace is to pour that out on the people around you. That's it. That is the only response that makes any sense to having received that kind of love and grace and forgiveness. That we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not through anything we can do. It was, look, a hot topic in the first century. We've heard that a lot, but this was brand new stuff in the first century. Hot topic. The Jewish believers had been so accustomed to the many laws and regulations that were put forth to make one holy that it was difficult for many of them to comprehend this idea of being saved by grace and not by works. Not because they were mean or because they didn't like the idea of grace, but perhaps because it was just so wildly extravagant and unfair. Who in here would consider themselves a rule keeper? You like rules, you like to keep the rules, and you are frustrated when other people ignore the rules. Somebody raise your hand besides Marie. Thank you, that's what I thought. That's me, Will Eaton. You need to raise your hand up because you are cut from the same cloth as your mama, okay? It's frustrating. And so you can imagine, though, these, these Jewish leaders, these religious people, and they've been so caught up in that, right? And I'm going to do, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to deserve, and I'm going to earn. And then, right, then what God does and what I do, they match up together, and now I'm a holy person. And Jesus has come, and he has saved us by his grace, 
period. And they're struggling with wrapping their brains around this, right? So they weren't mean, and it's not, they did not not like the idea of grace, but it was just so unfair. Because grace smacks of everything unfair, doesn't it? We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It lets everybody in. This was way different from how they had operated. And one of the works that every Jewish mom and dad knew to do for their baby boys was to have them circumcised on the eighth day. They were very obedient to do that. The Apostle Paul, when he listed out what made him a somebody in Philippians 3, made sure to include that he was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, even my parents did everything right for me. Like that's how good I have been. Even my parents did it all right. Of course, he went on to say that all those accomplishments meant nothing compared to the grace shown to him in Christ Jesus. But many Jewish believers struggled with whether or not they should require new Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers in Christ, to be circumcised. Some were traveling and teaching Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised in order to really be saved. This was in direct contrast to what Paul was teaching. So this debate eventually came to a head, and the leaders of the church came together to discuss it. And I want you guys to either look it up now, go home and read all of Acts chapter 15. I remember the day I discovered Acts chapter 15. This is the Jerusalem Council. I mean, it's a whole chapter about a meeting. It's fascinating, right? Um, And I'm not typically a fan of meetings. I'm about to go to a three-day meeting called annual conference. It's not going to be the most fun I've ever had in my life. However, I've got to say I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at this meeting at the Jerusalem Council. All the big players were there. Peter was there. Paul was there. Barnabas was there. James, the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem, he was there. I mean, this was a big deal. And they came together to discuss this question. How are we really saved? Do we still need to do something like circumcision? Or is trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ enough? Do I need to do something? Or is it just enough to trust the grace of Jesus Christ? So Acts 15, verse 5. But some believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees, right? They're having a hard time letting go. They believe in Jesus, but they were Pharisees. Uh, right? You know, we read all about the Pharisees in the Gospels, right? They were the ones that were rules, rules. You with me? Wake up. Tell me you're with me. Okay, this is exciting. Okay, and so, right, I just think it's fascinating. Now they believe in Jesus, but they're still Pharisees, right? So there's this tension, right? So some believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. Like certainly they must still have to do something in order to be saved, right? Fast forward to verse 7. 11, Peter stood up 
And he says, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And then listen to what happened next. Verse 12, the whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. Does it say that it, it, they told of all the works the Gentiles did? Does it say that they told of all the rules the Gentiles had kept and why they deserved to be saved? No. It says they told of all the works that God had done among them. And the council decided that day that God had chosen the Gentiles just as he had chosen them and that they would not burden them with the instruction to be circumcised. Basically, this is huge, guys. They're all acknowledging it is only by the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we are saved. That is it. I don't do anything. I don't earn anything. It's a gift. Now this question, am I really saved, right, circles around again and again in a lot of people's minds. Some really worry about whether they're forgiven, about whether they're saved. Some are very concerned with whether or not they have done all the right things in all the right ways. I mean, I know people who walked the aisle every Sunday in their churches as teenagers because they were so worried that they, maybe they weren't wholehearted enough when they went down the first time to accept Christ. Or maybe, maybe they had undone their salvation because of something that they had done. I mean, this is a real fear that people have worried about for a long time. So this question of how we gain our salvation is an important theological question because to answer this in any way other than to say that we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in him causes unnecessary worry and fear. And that is not the life that God has designed for us to live. He has saved us so that we can be free. We can live freely in him. We do not fear that he's going to get mad at us and turn his back on us. That somehow we're going we're to be so bad that he's not going to love us anymore. You know, I was caught up in that for years as a teenager. I so totally misunderstood what grace was that in my rebellion and my disobedience, the enemy was able to get in there in that fear and that worry and start working on me and saying, yeah, no, you're too far gone. No, you should be ashamed. No, you should not turn back to God because he, you've just done too much and he's too mad at you. Y'all, that's a lie. Because I didn't earn the grace of God to begin with. 
So I cannot lose the grace of God. Neither can you. And neither can someone you're mad at. Neither can someone you don't like. They can't lose the grace of God over their lives either. So Peter said that, that to do that, to say that there's something I have to do or something I have to be good enough is like placing a yoke around your neck. It's putting a burden on yourself. And he was saying our ancestors couldn't bear that burden. We couldn't bear that burden. In other words, it just keeps you worrying. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I being good enough? Have I been too bad? It's a burden we cannot bear. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation. But you can choose to believe that Christ won it for you. And you can receive it for the gift that it is. God loves you no matter what you do. Whether you like it or not, God loves you. He loves you. It doesn't negate our need for repentance, this grace of God. I need to, every time I realize I've turned away, I should turn back. But see, I can turn back because of the kindness of God, because His grace never fails, right? But God loves you, and Christ died for you. And so we ask at baptism... Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not yourself. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? And do you put your whole trust in His grace? Not your works, not your future works, your past works, anything. Do you put your whole trust in His grace? That's why we're asking this question. Because it's important to remember. You didn't earn it. Now, baptism is something that we do, right? But it's not something we do to earn our salvation. This question right here comes before the baptism. Y'all see that? So there's a difference in like the circumcision thing. They're saying you got to do it to earn your salvation. And we're saying, no, this is a response. This is a response to what's been given to us. Um, it's a response of putting your whole trust in His grace. Um, it brings us into the family of God. Some of you might be thinking, but what about infants? How can they put their whole trust in His grace when they don't even know that they're, you know, in the world yet? <laughs> you know, that God is there? Well, when we baptize infants, we ask the parents these questions. We baptize infants of parents who are believers, and the parents commit to teach their children what it means to put their trust in Christ. Um, the church also commits to teach these children what it means to put their trust in Christ, to put their whole trust in His grace. And then during confirmation, when those little babies are older, these young people who've already been baptized as infants are asked these questions, and they get to answer them for themselves. They get to answer them for themselves at that time. Those who haven't been baptized, they answer those questions, and then they get baptized. Now, look, I'm going to put something on our church's Facebook page um, from the Book of Worship because it just has a beautiful statement about this. I'll be looking for that later today. Um, 
And if you have more questions just about baptism in general, I know a couple years ago in our Means of Grace series, I preached a sermon about baptism. So I'll find that link and I'll post that online if you're interested in that as well. But look, if you want to come talk to Bruce or myself or any of the other clergy about why we do what we do in baptism here in the United Methodist Church, we want to talk to you. We want to answer your questions. Um, we just, there's no way we could get into all that in this morning. But let us know. We want to talk with you about that. And if you're an adult and you haven't been baptized yet, but you are saying, man, I, I believe Jesus is my Savior, and I, I'm putting his whole trust, my whole trust in his grace, come and be baptized. Let us, let us do that with you. That will be wonderful. So let us know. I'm going to close this morning with a passage um, from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Um, this passage talks about what it looks like um, to trust in ourselves versus trusting in God. Some, some really great imagery here I thought was wonderful. He says this, Cursed, <laughs> cursed, whoa, like, don't, don't hold back, Jeremiah. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's the opposite of repentance, right? Whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a, a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Oh, what a picture. He said, this is what it looks like when you trust in yourself and not in God. But blessed is the one that trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sent out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You seeing the difference? Isn't that a great picture? Do you want to be a dried up, dried out, bramble bush in the desert yeah <laughs> or do you want to be a lush flourishing green tree that is sourced by living water that's bearing fruit out into the world nourishing life-giving fruit which one do you want to be it's all about where you're going to place your trust is which one you're going to be I know who I want to be I know who I want to be so I'm going to ask you do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and put your whole trust in His grace? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace that uh, we can never earn. And I thank you for that reminder today, not only to receive your grace for our lives, but Lord to give that same grace out to the people around us, even the people we don't like, the people we're mad at, the people that return evil for evil, that are unkind, etc., etc. Lord, you know all this stuff in our heart. You know what we think about other people sometimes. So today we thank you for the reminder that we are to be the kind of people to show grace like you have shown to us. Help us to reflect you better and help us to truly be those trees planted by the streams that bear nourishing, life-giving fruit into this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.